Hello, animation fans, and welcome to another iAnimate podcast. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and you're listening to episode 83. In this episode, we have guest Kirby Atkins joining us. Uh, Kirby is a writer, a director, and animator. Um, he's been in the industry for quite some time, started out even on the TV series Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, and has worked on such films as uh, Scoob, The BFG, and Alvin and the Chipmunks. Um, he's worked at such studios as Leica, Weta, Real Effects, and Sony, and is currently over at Brazen Animation right now. One of the things that made this podcast unique was the ability to talk to Kirby about his own film, Mosley, which he was able to get produced. Um, it was a really cool movie. I've had a chance to check it out. Um, and it's currently making its way around in certain parts of the world and will soon be, I think, in the U.S. as per our conversation. Um, neat to talk with somebody who's been in the industry since, you know, early CG with uh, Jimmy Neutron to working at other high-level studios and have his own movie produced. Um, so it was just a great uh, conversation, awesome guy, and just a, a neat opportunity to talk to somebody who loves this industry, who's been in the trenches as well as directed, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this podcast. Check it out. Well, Kirby, um, first off, I always like to thank my guests. Um, it's a neat opportunity to talk with you guys. Uh, I know people are from around the world who listen to our podcast, and um, you mentioned you're in beautiful, beautiful Carmel, California. <laughs> which is a, a very cool treat for you. Um, so just a neat opportunity to get you guys. And so we appreciate your time on this podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Very cool. Um, looked at your LinkedIn bio. You've got quite an extensive resume here and particularly um, having, you know, written and directed a feature animation film. Um, so you've uh, written, directed, animated, um, you've been in this industry long enough to be able to take on many hats there. And so how did you get into the industry? What, what drew you to animation? Well, I, uh, my dad was a curator of art museums, uh, up and down, uh, Texas and California. Okay. I kind of, I, I kind of was a museum kid and was in figure drawing, 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 you know, nudes and things like that when I was 13 years old. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I kind of had that, I was had that creative bent all about me just waiting for dad to get off work at the museum. I would take theater classes and I would do all this stuff. Uh, but then I uh, uh, sort of got sidetracked in college and ended up teaching high school uh, after that. And it took me just a couple of years of that to go, I hate this. <laughs> and, uh, I want to, I want to do, do creative stuff. And so, and toy story had just come out. Okay. And it was a, and I was playing around with uh, video toasters. You remember those? Oh things? yeah, from uh, New Tech. Yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Things like that. And I, I knew that there was something here. I and I could draw. I've, I never did animation, but I could, I could draw like the wind. And and I was, I love stories, and I was always writing and all these things. So uh, it was it was an odd time is back in the late 90s when things were kind of uh, opening up and people really, really didn't know what this could medium could do. Right, right. So I was in Sunnyvale. Uh, I moved to Sunnyvale to take uh, this is before, you know, any online animation courses like yeah, like I animate. Yep. Yeah. And so there there was weird. There was this weird tech school kind of thing to where you just sort of went to these odd schools that and nobody really knew how to teach this stuff it was it was odd but it was in the bay area of california uh -huh. and so that we had a lot of pixar folks come in and trying to recruit and all that kind of thing 
This is back in 97. Okay. And I actually got my first job at uh, Will Vinton Studios, which is now Leica. Oh, very cool. Uh, yeah. So I, my first job was at a stop motion studio, uh, but I was doing M&M commercials and doing just everything that you can nice. do. It was, it was a great studio. And Travis was there at that time and moving on up. And wow. As he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, but that was, I spent three years. My daughter was born out there in Portland and that was my first job. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So, and then after that, we, after that, I, uh, we, we were doing the PJs, which was a stop motion uh-huh. uh, thing with Eddie Murphy. I remember that. Yep. Yep. And uh, that got, we had two shows. We had a thing called Gary and Mike and a thing called, uh, and the PJs. Uh-huh. Both shows were canceled at the same time. Math is layoffs. <laughs> so uh, I ended up at DNA uh, for this gym this Jimmy Neutron film. That oh, very cool. Okay. So you worked on that then, huh? I did. Yeah. So I got a lot of connections out in Dallas. Area. Dallas. I was gonna say that was, I remember that being in Texas there. Yeah. yeah. And so I animated on the feature. I ended up directing the TV show for a while. And wow. had, had a, uh, uh, I had fun directing the last in the, in the last season. And then I also was writing on the side. And I sold a script to uh, Robert De Niro, which was cool. <laughs> well, well, first off, I did a I did a short animated film that won at the Hollywood Film Festival, best animated short at the Hollywood Film Festival, and that got me talking to agents. And then I started writing, and uh, I sold a couple of scripts back when specs scripts were selling back before uh. franchises were were how people were. You could have a, an idea, write a script, and sell it, and and that was that that doesn't exist anymore but gotcha it, it got me going and so i had almost two separate careers going on at the same time i was animating or directing uh on on the tv show and uh writing and uh and uh so yeah that that's that's sort of where I got started and having both of these things going on at the same the same time, time huh yeah. now d- you mentioned um jumping into Leica pretty quick. Is that where you kind of got your animation skills? Did you learn some of that there? Or how much did you learn prior to that to get hooked up with a, a gig like that? It's, it's amazing how much, uh, how much you didn't have to know back in the early. That's days. what I was wondering. Yeah. 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 So I, it's, if you do in general, how thing, I mean, the skill level for these, for, uh, students coming on, on today is just so much more than what we had in the 90s and uh, you know I got friends at Pixar who, who were there from the beginning at Toy Story mm-hmm. and they they talk about that there's just like it's just the art form has progressed in such a way but so I I really I made a couple of really weird films and they hired me and I moved from California <laughs> to Portland and I pretty much kind of we were using Lightwave at the time. Yeah, yep, that's and, where I started too. Yeah, and and then light and so I kind of learned on the job and but I was a senior animator so but Gotcha. But, but you know. And then when we went to when I went to DNA we did the whole Jimmy Neutron film on uh Lightwave. Gotcha. So, which was kind of nuts to, to, to do a feature lightweight to do a feature. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then we, we shifted to Maya for the TV, uh, for the series. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
Um, yeah, I, I love uh, seeing some of the behind the scenes and stuff like that for uh, Leica's stop motion. Um, <clears throat> it would seem like stop motion would be a, a place where you'd really, really have to hone your skills because there's no um, undo button, you know, there's no, <laughs> so that's why I was asking how much you, knowledge you had prior to that before jumping in, but I could see where you could really start honing in some of your timing and uh, your spacing there because yeah, it without is, an undo. It's a, great, it's a great way to learn. And it's also a horrible way to learn. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, and, uh, but the, yeah. And, and you, uh, and of course, Leica and Travis progressed the art form just immensely. Yeah. Part of the charm of stop mode is the stutter and, uh, and that sort of handmade sort of quality. Yeah. This like has really smoothed that out to a point that you just honestly don't see it anymore. And I think the, the animation doesn't necessarily uh, have maybe that same charm. What I think that because it doesn't have that, but what I think Leica has done is just the way they, the cinematography and the lighting, mm. you can't, there's just certain things about real light, lighting real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That cannot be duplicated. Even now. I, I, I just don't think it has that same beautiful soft look. That, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Like films are just gorgeous. in that. Yeah. Regard. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So now you're kind of going along these two paths of both animation as well as directing there. Um, you mentioned that you were uh, doing that there at Jimmy Neutron. Um, at, that was DNA? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So from there, where did you go? From there, I from there, I ended up having a bit of a writing career. Okay. Uh, which was, which you could back in the day I guess you can still today, but you could make a career out of writing movies that never get made. Okay. <laughs> and so I had enough, I had enough work because of, of what I had, the specs I had sold both to Miramax and to, to De Niro was the, uh, uh, the fact that I, I was getting work to write. And so I ended up doing a whole lot of writing uh, but I had a friend who I met at DNA, Press Ramanos. I don't know if you okay. ever heard mm -hmm. of Press Ramanos, but he—he's one of the—he's a disciple of Glenn Keane and okay. uh, was uh, uh, one of the leads on Spirit. The uh, mm -hmm. he was Dreamworks. In DreamWorks. He 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 animated on Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, all these things. He's a classic guy. Gotcha. So we we hooked. We met at at DNA. He saw my uh, animatic that I was working on for, uh, it was a film a film called Beast of Burden at the time, but it became Mosley. Oh, okay. And so we, we went to Spain. We went to Salamanca, Spain to work on a short for uh, him and also to start up production on uh, what was going to be my film. And then Prescott, uh, he had leukemia and he had, four bone marrow transplants before we lost him and gotcha. um, kind of grounded just everything. He was just the best creative friend I ever had and, mm -hmm. and just hugely talented. You know how when people draw, you can tell their style, but uh, press was like a, uh, an impressionist in the sense that he would go, he could draw, he, he would say, now I'm going to draw like Kirby Atkins yeah. and I would go and he would draw and he would just duplicate every, everything i can only draw like kirby atkins but he could draw like kirby and press and glenn he could draw like everybody and so he he was just an amazing influence on me and gotcha. really got the ball rolling in regard to uh 
um, Alice Davis was his good friend, Mark Davis's uh, widow. We would go to Alice's house and uh, have martinis and and look through old uh, Bambi and Pinocchio. Oh man, very or, cool! Original artwork that was in the film, and it was and he so he was a great friend of me, and we met at DNA. And we and uh, we were almost we were we were going to make this film in in Spain and then that got grounded. And mm. uh, so I spent the, uh, a good several years living in a small town in Tennessee, writing scripts for the studios, flying into L.A. for meetings and hope and setting and going to Spain and trying to set up uh, a feature out there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, what would be the studio there at, at, in Spain at the time? Well, it was called at the time it's gone now it's it was called n-a-e-n-n-e r-e-n-n-e and uh it's gone now but but, uh we were working on a a press's short there and i actually don't know what happened to them after after gotcha i sure there's a lot of talent out in in spain even you know still now obviously so just kind of was curious excuse me now what was some of the you know you said he was a major mentor to you um what were some of the things that or kind of those either light bulbs or um, just something that you took throughout your life now as, as an artist. You mean that I took from press or yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, one of the things that I noticed is that people are into this, people are into animation for different things. Okay. And you think that every, you sort of, you sort of get in the industry and you think everybody wants the same thing and then you find out that they don't, they don't. (laughs) Some people are completely happy to uh, get into the weeds in regard to software in regard to uh, just refining the art of animation. But some people get into it because they just want, they want to tell stories themselves. And I, I always saw animation as a means to an end. I never, I, 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 and, and I'm, and when you meet people like that, who have the same bent as you do in the sense that they're just, it's just a means to tell a story, but the story is what's in your mind. Yeah. For, and the, and the anim, and animation is just how you get there. Gotcha. Right? That's the medium and, then. Yeah. And so he and I connected in that regard because we, we didn't, uh, we, we loved, uh, we loved more obscure, serious sort of films, The Man Who Planted Trees, uh, mm-hmm. box film, uh, and, and just things like that, that we, that we were gravitated toward that were neither just the studio fair or the art house fair. Mm-hmm. It was somewhere in between to where we felt like there are things that we would love to see animation do that it's just not doing. Gotcha. And it's either, either things are very, you, you people talk about adult animation that's usually either dirty jokes fart jokes or things like that right yeah you know sausage party that kind of stuff yeah yeah or uh or it's art house stuff uh and then the other spectrum is it's all family stuff mm-hmm. yeah and and i i always felt like i wanted to see dramatic stories in animation that mm-hmm. were that were still f- I guess, family oriented. It's not that they weren't family oriented, but it's just that I always felt like there was a whole sort of story that I'm not seeing that the, the industry is just not making these things. They make other, they make other films that aren't animated that, 
uh, I, I remember the never ending story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Black stallion and these sort of films that had teeth to them, you know, yeah. that they, they were, they were family films, but they, I, I remember when that, uh, in the never ending story, when that horse is drowning in the swamp. <laughs> yeah. I did when I saw that. And that just, <laughs> I was, I was just haunted me yeah. for, for days. And I was like, that's the sort of stuff that those are the sort of films that mark you as a kid yeah. and stick with you. And I'm like, why aren't we doing this with animation? Particularly now that the CG stuff was coming along. I'm yeah, like, yeah. it's perfect. The acting can get more nuanced. You can do things that you couldn't do in 2d that for me had to do with not more believable dinosaurs, but, uh, the smaller things, the acting and the, and the subtle things. Right. Right. I felt like I wasn't seeing. And so when I met press, he was like, me too. <laughs> and, and so you meet people like that and you end up love, uh, creating together. Gotcha. And he and I just did a whole lot of drawing together and talking about stories together. And we weren't just so much enamored with what animation was doing, but what we thought it could do. And it's one of those things where you're, you, you wish somebody would write this book that you would love to read, or you wish someone would make this movie that you would love to see. Yep. Yep. No one's doing it. So you think, well, I guess I'll just make it myself. I guess right. I'll make the thing I want to see myself. Yeah. And so he was just a tremendous friend in that regard. So. Very cool. Do you see, um, that seems to be kind of a theme, particularly at least here in the U.S. as far as animation is concerned. Um, do you see that getting better? Do you see that it moving towards that? Or are we still kind of, you know, I mean, it, it seems like we're probably still a ways off on that um, as far as. Um, yeah, it's, it's odd because uh, Pixar is, seems to be the only studio that, is allowed to take risks, <laughs> right? And 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 uh, I think they do. I think they take risks. I think now they're probably taking very calculated risks because they, their brand is based upon a certain sort of story that has an emotional resonance to it. And they right. work. I mean, you can't argue with them. They work, you know. Uh, and yet I do feel like it's almost like we say Pixar can make that and nobody else can make that. Yeah, okay. And or... And, and I just, I don't know why, I, I, I don't know why, I don't know why animation is so uh, nervous that it feels like every 10, every two or one minute, you have to have a laugh. Right. You can't let a tense moment just, just be itself. In a regular movie, you wouldn't say, God, we need a laugh, right? Like, right. Every two minutes, we need a laugh you'd go, no, that's not true to the moment. We need to let the moment play out. We're, we're betraying the moment if we, and, but animation's scared that they're going to somehow lose the audience or they're somehow going to scare the kids. Or, right. And I just, I don't know why, uh, I, don't, I don't know why that is the tendency, I, except for the fact that it's, it's what we've been doing forever. Yeah. And it's hard to just get out of that rut. Yeah, know? break that mold there, huh? Gotcha. Well, that's why it's so cool about, um, and we'll get into it a little bit later, <clears throat> your your film, Mosley. Um, well, maybe now's just a good, a good time here. <laughs> um, very neat subject story. And uh, some of the scenes as well, um, it, it, it definitely 
felt like it was breaking that mold a little bit there, you know, trying to push that. I'm assuming that was obviously intentional then. Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, you can get away with things in independent film, uh, a $20 million film, which is what it was uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that there's not so much money on the line. Gotcha. And number two, usually the people who are financing it don't know any better. (laughs) (laughs) And so you, they don't know, they don't necessarily know how these things are done. It may be the first time they put money into a movie. Gotcha. And so, uh, and, and it, it's just, just a reflex. I think that anyone, any producer or anybody who finances movies does is that they want to, they want to make their money back. Yeah, of course. And, and so you got to be sympathetic to that. You got to, you, I mean, they're putting up, that's a whole lot of money. To right. Thing. And, and the safest thing to do is to repeat the last thing you saw that was successful. You're right. Right. Just that seems like the, the safest, safest. And uh, what you got to try to do is you got to try to win them over that doing something different isn't, is going to be good. It's going to be worth doing. Right. Right. And, and, and so like, for example, in mostly there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of fights and there's uh, particularly the last fight uh, is, is brutal. And I do remember wanting that last fight in the film to not feel like a fight in a cartoon mm. or not feel like a fight in an animated film. Gotcha. I wanted to feel like a flipping fight. I wanted yeah. to feel like, Oh my God, cause this is what you, this is the trick that you're always trying to do with an audience. You want the audience to forget that they're, that these usually, that these stories usually have very predictable outcomes. Right. And they always do. And we want to see in general, unless you're the Coen brothers or something, you, you want to see, uh, the, these things always usually turn out well for the hero or whatever, but what the trick or the art in it is to try to make the audience forget that and really start to get worried. Yeah. You want them to worry that we want them to go, Oh my God, I don't know if he's going to make it gonna turn out, you know, if this is going to go well. And the more you can make them feel that way, the lows have to be low mm-hmm. for the highs to be high. Right. And if you, if you're worried that the lows are too low because you're going to freak out the kids or whatever, and you diminish that, then the highs are going to be diminished too. So yep. that everything sort of is the same. Gotcha. Level. Yeah. Trying to balance that out because on one, it, the more you bring it in, the more that this has to kind of go in here. Yeah, exactly. And with the animation, uh, I, st- I still had to do, I still had to, as I've often called it, leave the cookies on the bottom shelf uh, in regard to, it's an animated film and people have certain expectations. Right. Right. And you have to sort of meet them, meet the audience halfway and and you want them to grow. You want to stretch and grow them and you want them to see and experience things that are unique and maybe they haven't seen before, but because they're walking into an animated film and it's weird, the prejudices that exist (laughs) when you watch an animated film, you expect certain things. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going into a regular movie, anything could happen you're open to different tone, different right. kinds of things. With animated features, you're expecting certain things to fall in, yeah. in a certain way. And so I had to, I had to accommodate that on some level uh, with, with some comedy and things like that. And gotcha, I was yeah. lucky enough to have the cast that I did because we, uh, the, I felt like the comedy was more character-based and not uh, 
just gags. Just gags. Yep, yep, yep. No, the movie had a, a, a ton of charm. I, I felt like it was a really cute movie for that reason, but it, it also had that level of um, serious tone in there as well that that balanced it out very, very nicely. Um, I thought the level of production was very surprising in regards to, you know, it not being a, a Disney or DreamWorks or Pixar, um, the level of animation. I actually know, um, uh, Manuel. Manuel. Yeah. So yeah, he was one of our instructors here. He's been you know, for quite some time and to see his name pop up on there, I knew he had animated on it, but I didn't know to what degree. And so, yeah, the level of anime quality animation on there was, was beautiful. Um, and then you had some really, really key, um, money shots in there, you know, um, again, this hasn't been, hasn't been released yet. Right. So, uh, it, or, we're, it, it will be in the U S this next year. Okay. I don't exactly know when, but we're, we're opening, we're creeping around the world. Gotcha. Uh, so I, I don't want to, I don't want to say too much. Um, but yeah, just some really beautiful money shots in there. So it seemed like you guys, um, and I know that's kind of the key when it's an independent movie, um, going, okay, where do we best spend our money? Um, what was, what was your process in that as you're directing this? Well, there, I mean, there was a couple, there's a couple of tricks to, uh, and you, it starts in the right, in the writing, because you're in the writing, you're taking the inventory down about what the, what are the assets and what, where's the money going? Gotcha. And so that, uh, as you recall, usually in the third act of a film, they're throwing all the assets at the screen, right? Every, the biggest set pieces there's usually a, every character that's been in the movie is in the third act. <laughs> There's some gigantic fight, whatever, right? Uh, mostly feels more epic than it actually is, I think, in regard to assets, because uh, the if you recall, the last fight is between two characters yeah. in a giant surreal orchard that is sort of like this, uh, like California redwood trees. That yeah. You can get lost. It's like a labyrinth. Like a labyrinth. Yep. Yep. And so... That was the first thing I put into production because it was basically three assets. And those are the first characters we had rigged, modeled and rigged. Interesting. Yeah. It was the Warfield, the Hunter, Mosley and that. And then we had a uh, proxy of the set, which was easy because it's these trees that, that are, are duplicated. Yeah. Yeah. Road, right. And we just went, uh, to, we just went straight into it. So if you think about it, that's pretty, we could spend our time and focus on uh, the animation and the performance in ways that, because we had two characters. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we, Manuel and I looked at a lot of uh, reference footage of Cowboys wrestling steers down. Uh-huh. It was a fight between a quadruped and a biped character. And there was a lot of weight going on and a lot of uh, just, you know, obviously the power is in the the bigger quadruped creature mm -hmm. but the bipedal creature had hands and tools and so uh it was a battle between brawn and also brawn but also ability you're right and dexterity and things and so we could we could really just and we did i mean we 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 spent a lot of time on each shot to make sure that that fight that the hits felt like hits. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and it was great because we, we weren't concerned with peripheral assets. You know, we, we could really concentrate on the performance of the characters. Gotcha. I, I, I did make, I did want to make sure that, uh, that where I was, if you look, you'll be able to, 
see where the holes are. The lighting could have been better. Certain things could have been better. What I, what I wanted to emphasize was the performance of the characters. I mm -hmm. wanted these guys, I wanted these characters to act and to emote and to, uh, so that's where I put the lion's share of my attention is to, because I felt like everything else is forgivable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, I feel like performance of a character, these are your actors and a bad casting is, can ruin a movie. And it's the same with bad animation can ruin a movie because you want to believe what you're seeing. And, and I felt like everything else, I felt like lighting is bad. Lighting is more forgivable than a bad performance from your actor, which is yeah, animator, yeah. which is what the film's about. It's about right. these characters, right? Yep, yep. So I, I really had to have a bullseye sort of sensibility about keeping my eye on the ball because it was so easy with effects and things like that to put Start your- Start <laughs> yeah. Now, hey, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you help voice in that? I was mostly. I That's what I thought. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it went quick on that. And I got to tell you, okay, this is, this is no, you know, uh, stroking the ego here. You did a fantastic job. I mean okay. that in all sincerity. One of the things I love about, um, I mean, you get certain characters like Poe uh, or, you know, um, Woody or whatever that you go, it just fits. Right. And then you get some other characters in movies that you feel like, okay, they just got them for their name, you know? Yeah. Um, one of the things I loved about how well you did it, uh, uh, your acting job in there is I didn't recognize the, you know, the, the voice, like it was some high paid actor, but it felt like, man, this is a great actor. This worked out really well where you, it fits the character and you did a fantastic job. And I was very, very surprised well, to see you on there, there too. So thanks. That wasn't originally planned. Okay. But, uh, the, the character Rue, who's plays the young, the young Thorfinn in there uh -huh. was my daughter. It, it's, yeah. So oh, she, very nice. So here's the story with that. It uh, back when I was, I was telling you I was writing films for a living yes. that were never getting made. Uh, that's when I started making the animatic for Mosley, and okay. I started storyboarding it. And just because I I wanted to just start, I couldn't I I could wait for financing to come, but I was like. I want to, I want to make it. I want to do it now. So I just started storyboarding and putting this thing together. And I, at one point I, my daughter knew the characters because she'd be in my office. She was young. She was six years old and I would be drawing the characters and she'd be on the floor drawing the characters and cutting them out and, uh -huh. and telling the story on the floor. And so one day I thought I need voices for this thing. Uh, I'm ready for voices. And so I thought, well, I'll just get Leah, my daughter, I'll just get a microphone and we'll get on the floor and we'll just play things out. Uh -huh. It was like improv with a, with a six-year-old. <laughs> she knew the story. You know how kids are. Kids know the story. They want to stay within on the rails of the story, but they will, they will make up little asides and things. And so everything that, that that's the exact performance that you hear in the film. So gotcha. So that is based, I handed that audio off to my uh, engineers in New Zealand. And of course we had John Reese davies and Lucy Lawless and Tamara Morrison and uh -huh. all the big actors that we recorded professionally. Yeah. And then they're like, well, who's going to play Rue? And I said, I think I want my daughter to play Rue because the, she just, she was off script and it was just spontaneous mm. what she did. She made up this little song and it's in the film and it's, <laughs> she made it up on the spot and 
And so I handed over that audio and it was just me and her interacting. And as you know, uh, there was some juice and there was some honesty yeah, and yeah. Some real chemistry between us to the, that couldn't be duplicated in, in a studio. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And so, and so we, I ended up, I kept thinking about, well, how have I ever seen this done before? And, and I, I, I thought of Richard Donner's Superman where they basically mm. put Marlon Brando in there and they, they front loaded the cast with all of these names. And so I, I had to cast a lot of Kiwis just because the, we were getting film commission money. Gotcha. They wanted a lot of New Zealanders in there. And so I just cast John Reese Davies, Reese Darby, all these guys, Lucy Lawless. And I thought at the center of this thing, I felt like was Mosley and Rue. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and just us improving me and my daughter, she wasn't acting. She was just playing. Yeah. Which is sort of like Thumper and Bambi. Yes. Yes. Or any of those sort of things that kid actors are the worst. Cause when they're, they're trying they're doing, to, yeah. They're doing it too much. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And so there's something that's beautiful about a kid being spontaneous that when you capture it, this is a creek, what they did in creature comforts, right? There's the spontaneity that happened yeah. that when you uh, put animation in that, it, it just shines life. And, and so that's yeah. what, that's the reason why I'm mostly is because, because the interaction between the two of us felt really natural and I didn't want to mess with that. You know? Well, when you don't notice that it's, um, and, you know, not a professional actor in the sense of one that's in Hollywood movies and things like that. You don't notice it, that you've done a great job. So well, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Now one of the things that you mentioned about this movie was that you had, um, it was called burst of, um, Beast of, Beast of Burden. burdens yep. earlier. So how long from the time that, you know, you really kind of go like, Hey, I want to get this going versus the time that now where you actually got it going. How, what was the time frame on that? Well, uh, this will, clue you in so i had been working on the animatic for a while and then i recorded my daughter when she was six when we moved to new zealand to make the film she was uh 17 okay that sounded like it had been some time yeah it had been a while so it, and uh i had cut the entire film and storyboarded and cut the entire film together yeah so that was one of the reasons why the financing uh why we were able to just start is because I didn't come to the film commission. It was the first uh, co-production between New Zealand and China. Okay. And it, it was a business opportunity looking for a movie. And so, you know, you could read a lot of scripts, but I already had the whole film cut. Gotcha. And, and storyboards. And I had voices and, and you could watch it. You know, people could just sit and watch the film. Right, right. And, and that's where, that's how I was able to secure that that financing and just we we had pre-production still to do but the bigger problems in pre-production were solved because the story didn't change much it changed a little with the when we got the new cast and i rewrote the film for those voices but what occurs in the film uh ha hasn't changed really since the moment my daughter and i were planning playing it on the floor gotcha you know, it's, it's the same story that it was without a lot of interference, which is great. I mean, there's something to be said for that whole collaborative process when you get a studio and the, what's it, the, uh, 
story trust or whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah. That's fantastic. If you, if you can have that, but there's also something you lose, you lose. Brad bird was able to do is able to do this. I think better than anybody that's that Brad bird is able to take the giant mechanism of a studio and still you feel like when you watch the film, you feel like he's, you're getting a message from an individual person. Gotcha. Yeah. That is not easy to do when you it's look at the size of a studio. Pete doctors that way too, but I think Brad Bird's the best in the sense that he, uh, you felt like with Incredibles, he was telling you about his experience becoming a middle-aged person and how, uh, how hard that was feeling like you're past your prime. That's the story of the Incredibles. Uh, yeah. It's, that's what he's communicating to you. And you feel like it was one guy communicating that to you using the mechanism of a giant studio yeah. to tell the story. And so that I think is the, is the challenge is to, is to not lose the individual voice of the writer or the director in the process and the hamburger machine that is, you know, a, creating a film, you know, particularly yeah. an animated film. Did you feel like, um, let me see how I can phrase this, that there was a lot of pushback for you to have additional voices in um, in what was said to go on the screen? Or did you feel like because of the situation with a business looking for a movie and you had the full backbone of this thing, the skeleton of it, that they were able to kind of just trust you to kind of move with it on? It was, it was a lot of all of that. So okay. it was uh, every now and then the... Uh, for example, I told you I put that fight into production first. Mm -hmm. Kind of in a sneaky way, because I felt like I felt like when I find when they finally got around to giving me some notes and it, I, it wasn't coming, they weren't coming. But I felt like at some really inconvenient time, they're going to put some notes on me. And now it's too late. And, huh? and one of the notes is going to be it's too violent at the end. I knew that was coming. And, but if I'd already spent that money and made that sequence, then that money's out the door. <laughs> yeah. Sorry guys, we can't change it. We got to keep going. <laughs> but, 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 but at the same time, they weren't, it wasn't, I also felt like I could make an argument that, Hey, look, the, like I said before, the lows need to be low for the yeah, highs yeah. to be high. I can make that argument theoretically to them. Yeah. Yeah. And they'd be like, yeah, whatever. You still need to make it less violent. Yeah. Or I could show them something. Yeah. And, and, and usually when I showed them and they saw, you know, I don't want to spoil the movie, but it gets, it gets dark and then, and then something happens. Right. That elevates everything. And, uh, and they felt that. And so, we were all feeling the same things and you can't argue with that. Yeah. And yeah. They could, they didn't really, they'd be okay. They're already invested in it now versus yeah, they not were, having seen something yet. And now they, got, they forgot that they were there to check me and they got emotionally involved in the yeah. story. And, and that was the only way that I knew to win is I had to let the film make the argument for me. Gotcha. And the only way to do that is to get several paces ahead of them so by the time they had something that they wanted to criticize that made me nervous because I felt like that would compromise the story, I could say, well, look at it. Let's watch it. And then they, and then I'd go, so now you want to change that? <laughs> but, but, it but it also wasn't without it's, I had to, uh, I also, you know, the, you remember there's chicks in the, in the, uh -huh. and, uh, 
there's this great little moment uh, where I have Rue trying to get the bucket going. Yep. Uh, and it's just this nice little sequence, little uh, montage kind of comedy sequence. Yeah. And I, I, I knew that that was going to be comfort food to the investor. And, gotcha. And so I had, and I didn't feel, I didn't feel like it compromised the story. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. I not felt, at all. I felt like it, I felt like it gave it that levity that it needed, but it did it without betraying the other moments. That's yeah. what I feel like these, that's the balancing act with all this kind of stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So now uh, kind of a next question here, having had something in development for roughly a decade, <laughs> how were you, um, able to be that patient on something is it something hey look it's 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 coming or it's you know do you have these thoughts that man i'm never gonna get this thing made or that's significant amount of time so how do you be patient during that time i i don't this is you know that what's the richard williams thing right with thief and the cobbler Mm -hmm. uh it's this is not and this is not great career. Don't do what I did. It's career <laughs> advice, right? You're not supposed to put too much of yourself into one project. Right, You're right. Supposed to invest your own money in a pro- your own project. You're not supposed to all these rules, the things that you're not supposed to do. I did all of those, <laughs> but but I don't necessarily give that as advice to anybody in regard to that. I I because. Uh, it could all blow up in your face, and I felt that all the time I, I felt like uh but the the thing that kept make me kept going back to the story and every time i had a free moment or i wasn't writing something i or wasn't animating just to make money while mm-hmm. i was in between writing gigs and all the things that you have to do to make a living anytime i had a moment that i could spare i was drawing more storyboards and putting the film together gotcha on my own i and if I needed a voice, I did the voice myself. And, and it wasn't, I have to be honest, it wasn't because I was looking for some great day when somebody was going to put $20 million in my lap and say, Holy God, make this movie. Yeah. It was because I really enjoyed doing it. Gotcha. And I do feel like if there's some key to longevity, it's that you better damn well enjoy doing it because the other thing may not happen. Yeah. Okay. And then it's not a waste. Well, yeah. And, and we have to enjoy our work. Right. And and this is why I I've made, I've written a lot of movies and see them turned into hamburger before, Mm. but mostly was one of those that I'm going, there's, I'm not going to give all my best stuff to, to the machine of Hollywood and watch it get chewed to nothing. I want to have at least one thing in my creative life that I'm not going to sacrifice to the gods of the industry. I, gotcha. I, I, one thing that I want to do that it, for me, I wasn't scared that it would never, I wasn't that I was scared that it would never get made because it was, I was scared that it would get made and get screwed up. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do feel like we always, I think all of us as artists need to have certain things that we do for the sheer joy of doing them. And if they pay off in some other way, career for our career, that's great. And you should go for that. But if they don't, if it crushes you to the point that you never want to make anything again for yourself, I think you, you were kind of not doing it 
you weren't doing it necessarily for yourself. You were doing it for somebody else. Gotcha. And, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't, I see people who have projects all the time and they, then they get a chance to work on Batman or something and they drop their pride. They drop their idea because Holy God, I get to work on Batman. And it's like, well, have some respect for your own idea. I mean, <laughs> at least put as much, uh, put as much, put more of yourself into your stuff. I mean, this is your stuff. This I is mean, you, yeah. yeah. Are you, you going to be making just this? Are you going to be a servant for the franchises the rest of your life? And we all do. I mean, to make a living, we all have to do that. But if, if as creative people, I think we have to have as at least as much respect for the stuff that comes out of our heads. Right. As, as we do just serving whatever happens to the trend happens to be. You know? Right. Right. No, very cool. What was the, uh, the Genesis for this movie? Well, Where did this it, come from it, it can a lot of different places, but I, one was in the most generic thing was that like we talked about before, there were films that I remember watching as a kid that, I mean, the next, I, the next day I, it would cling to you like a spider, like walking through a spider web, yeah, yeah. you know, and you can't shake it. And it's a mood that like the never ending story, which you're has still aged, thinking about it. it yeah. Well at all, it, you know, it's a horror, it's a ho- awful clunky movie to watch, but emotionally there were things that I remember that just smacked me in the head. As yeah. I did. And so I wanted a film that would have, I wanted to just in a very gen- generic way, I wanted to make something that felt like that. And then the specific idea of the devolution came from something I think that everybody has noticed with animated stuff. Like, you know, you in the Disney world, you have Mickey Mouse and he has a mortgage and a car and he lives in a neighborhood. And his best friend is Goofy, who also has a mortgage and a car and lives next door. <laughs> but Mickey also has the pet, Pluto, who's also a dog. Uh-huh but is naked on all fours, doesn't have hands. And I remember thinking what, this is a tragic story here. About, <laughs> I mean, about what, what horrible thing happened to Pluto that he couldn't evolve to be like Goofy. Right. Gotcha. And so I thought just, and there's metaphors start pouring out of your head at that. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Like, what if you, what if you tragically were unable to go as evolve as far as your heart was meant to go that you what if you found out that you were meant to be something amazing and somehow you turned out to be something else and how do you get that back and and that's where all of that came from and and the metaphor of standing upright and and hands and how hands control if you if you can have all this brawn all the, even all this intellect but if you don't have those things you can't manipulate your world you can't and and the loss of that would be tragic and right. so i took that whole basic thing which is really kind of hilarious and stupid about goofy and pluto and i just remember thinking there's a real actual story in in this that is never addressed or anything that i feel like if what if you had two versions of these creatures one that had evolved or actually one that had de-evolved right uh, in the tragedy as a result then yeah and and then it becomes a metaphor for in, in new zealand it a lot of people compared it to the maori uh 
uh, population in New Zealand to mm -hmm. where uh, and, and oppressed people and of any stripe. But also, if you didn't want it, if you didn't want it to be a socially conscious sort of preachy kind of film, uh -huh. it ends up being a personal metaphor right. for you about maybe you were meant to do something wonderful and somehow you settled and right. maybe you shouldn't settle. Maybe you should do that thing. Yep. You know? Yeah, no, very, very cool. Yeah, it was um, really appreciated the story for that multifaceted um, look upon it, the, the ability to take it from a sociological aspect as well as a personal. Yeah, and, and I think that's what the best, uh, that's what fables do better than anything. Because mm -hmm. if you watch like a movie like All the President's Men, uh, then that movie is about what it's about. There's not you know, there's not any hidden meaning to it. It's yeah. about Watergate. If you watch Lord of the Rings, you're like, the ring represents the right. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and everybody sort of reads their own life into the story and yeah. the ring becomes for you. You walk, you walk out of a movie like Lord of the Rings or Return of the King, particularly, or any fable uh, and you're going, and you feel like, what's the application of this for me? What do I, I feel like I need to go do something that I. <laughs> there you go. Do. I like that. Yeah. And 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 fables are just great for that because they they the story is not what the story is about. There's the story is about something else. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's under the surface, and everybody sees something different. Yeah. Everybody reads something personal into it that they may not even want to share but it motivates them in some way. And I love stories like that. I love stories that make you. I love movies that change you and make you go and make you go, I'm going to be, I'm going to do something else. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to do this, but now I'm going to do this. And yeah. the reason is that story. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. Movie, you know? Yeah. No, I love that. It makes me feel like I want to go do something. That's, that's yeah, a great, yeah. great way to put it. Um, how did you go about getting it picked up then? You know, you, you mentioned, you know, like I said, about a decade here, how did that finally now the wheels got going? Well, again, these things, these things end up being, uh, that part of the story ends up being uh, a lot of waiting and things maybe going to happen and then you're not sure and so on and so forth. I, uh, the, I, I feel like what happened was that I had so much of the movie created already, just personally, that the, the, the reason the reasons to make it or the reasons for somebody to finance it outweighed the reasons for them not to. Okay. And so because, because we could in a sense skip a major bit of pre-production, we could, the movie was ready out of the box. You already had a, a lot of stuff worked out. Yeah. And so even the character design, which is not as good as it could have been, uh, it was just completely based on my drawing and my work. And I feel like if I gotten a few more heads in there, it could have been a lot better. Gotcha. And yet it, it also being willing to let that stand as it was, was one of the reasons why we were able to really just start animating and start working. The okay. first thing we did was we, like I said before, was we, we built and rigged Mosley and Warfield. And then we just started, we just started and, and I don't know, I have to be honest, I don't know any other movie that's been had that journey. 
I, I don't know many directors, so I was always ravenous to hear other points of view about, is this normal? Is this yeah. how this usually happens? <laughs> and I didn't have anybody that I could talk to in that uh-huh. regard, so it was kind of a lonely experience. So I wasn't really sure if what I was experiencing was normal. Yeah, always are. I didn't know. I had no idea. I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> now that was made at, uh, what's the name of the studio there in, in New Zealand? It was called Hoo Hoo Studios. It's Hoo-hoo. gone now. So that, that's okay. another bit of the drama is that the studio was managed poorly and that it was already starting to go out of business mm. before I was done. And so uh, uh, I felt like I was getting a baby out of a burning building. Oh, um, my goodness. I, I wanted, this is why I think we met at Real Effects, uh, through Real Effects anyway. Gotcha. And, and I... Actually, because the, the money was running out and I wanted to make sure the money was going to our compositors and the people who were actually doing the work, I felt like, all right, let's let the, I'm going to go work on these films with real effects. Right, right. I went to Montreal, worked on Scoob during yep. the day and then had dailies at night in New Zealand. Oh my goodness. To finish the film. So I finished the film in Montreal remotely because they're, because the money is running out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's and, that was that's actually kind of funny. Uh, we our studio had done a lot of the um, commercial work for Scoob, and then my brother had got on uh, on there, and he mentioned he was talking with you, and we'd seen some of the uh, is it Chris? No, what's his name? Um, Hayes. Uh, Randy Hayes. Randy Hayes. Yes, had posted I think some stuff, and so I just I was familiar with it, and then he mentioned my brother had mentioned he was working with you on Scoob, and um, and I said, hey, let me get a hold of him. Let me know if he'd be interested in a podcast. I'm just always curious. That's what I love about these podcasts. Um, so yeah, so you're working on Scoob, animating on that while you're trying to get this finished here. Um, it was able to be completed at Hoo Hoo Studios in before it, it finished it up. Was, it was, and the weirdest part of it was uh, the fact that uh, uh, I was doing post and uh colorizing the film and everything online gotcha so that i got these bose headphones and i'm listening to the final mix and i'm going i think this is good <laughs> I, and i don't know how i'm gonna find out and i i wasn't i mean the studio the studio disappeared and so uh they i wasn't even we had our premiere in auckland uh and and i couldn't go uh-huh. there, there was i there was they didn't they were the studio was was in taking care paying debts mode and they weren't gonna do any more uh and and so i missed that but i did get to go it was nominated for best animated feature at the asia pacific screen awards okay in, in brisbane and australia very nice and so australia the, that awards the 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 asia pacific screen awards flew me out to brisbane and I saw it in the cinema at Brisbane with a with a cinema full of folks. And gotcha. Was, I was that was the only time I've ever seen it in the cinema. <laughs> and, and it was all I wanted to do was I just wanted to play it again, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounded it sounded like I wanted it to. I I really had some uh, folks at DigiPost in uh, in New Zealand that did a great job, and they were like going, "Trust me, it sounds great in the cinema." And it did. It sounded my, yeah. I got to say my composer, Elaine Mayrand, who did my music uh, score, uh, you know, usually you get to go and sit there with the orchestra and it, we were, we, uh, we were doing this in Budapest. The orchestra was in Budapest. Wow. And I, 
I was listening to the sessions on Skype uh -huh. <laughs> and, and messaging via Facebook to the composer. So he would finish the take with a hundred piece orchestra. And then he would, he would text me, how did that sound? And then I would text back. I thought it was fantastic. And then we're waiting, we're watching for the, and then they get, they get the message. We see it on Skype and he says to the, all the orchestra, he loved it. And oh it my weird. gosh. And that's how I, that's, so there was a lot of things that I think the experience of being a director that I missed just because there was no money. And I wanted to make sure the money went in the music and not the experience of, of not flying my ass. Down. Right. Because <laughs> my ass was not necessary. What was necessary is my composer was there. And that's right. It's all these things that that uh, I have to be honest, because when we were at Real Effects with Scoob and all that, and we're in Rumble, I'm looking at these directors and I'm going, God, I wish I could have had that experience. Uh huh. Uh huh. But and that's part. That's the part where you just make sure you surround yourself by people you trust and that are talented, and you go, Hey, look, I, I'm trusting you on this. That sounds sounds good, but you're there, and uh, I'm trusting your judgment on that. You know. That's why we that we had a. I had a small crew. I had Manuel as, and I had Randy. Uh, I had uh, Kathy Graves tune. who was uh, my editor. She came out of blue sky and Pixar. I had Morgan Loomis from Weta. I had some great people. I had a great Elaine Mary, my composer. Mm. I had this very tight group of people, very small group of people. And we all wanted to do the same thing so that I felt like it was safe for me to be off site and trust them because we were all wanted this and nobody was getting paid like they should have been paid, but that's not why any of us were doing it. And, and so you, we really, it, you know, lim limitation makes art, they say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do feel like there is something to be said for the fact that if you have all the resources in the world, you, you become weird you just get weird yeah and you start expecting things that you shouldn't expect if you have limitations if you're just then suddenly you get a little more creative a little more crafty huh and 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 it makes people work well together I, yeah I feel so gotcha that's great um i know we've talked about mosley here any um but you also animate you know any um particular projects that in your career that you've just really were kind of the same kind of things as highlight ones here um that you've yeah, really enjoyed I, I did i did very much enjoy uh working at weta when i did uh there was there there's the traditional animation and then there's what weta does which is uh you know more mo cappy kind of stuff uh -huh. i got to work on bfg but i did I did work Alvin and the Chipmunks uh, film at Weta. I did enjoy working with Real Effects and Scoob. Uh -huh. It was it was nice after being in charge of everything. Okay, to just have, just to just have a shot. Yeah, yeah. You know, just be in charge of the shot. My 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 existence is these two hundred frames, and I just need to make everybody happy with those two hundred frames. But I I do feel like the things that I've enjoyed the most are when and I always got cast, you know, everybody gets typecast in their shots. They do body mechanics or they do whatever. The thing I noticed at Weta that they would always give me was when the character starts crying shots. So those are the ones <laughs> that they always give me. 
And I have to, I have to shamelessly admit, I love working with the face and I oh, love, nice. I love getting the face to, I love seeing, I love it when you create the illusion that the character's thinking and that, that it's not just movement, but there's thought and then movement. I love feeling, I love, I love eye darts. I love things that make you feel like, holy mackerel, that, that it's a believable character, character yeah. yeah. That character's thinking about things. Yeah. And it's ha is having a whole process going on inside of them before they do what they're going to do next. Yeah. So. Very cool. Um, any parallels in your directing and writing um, side that parallels how you approach animation in regards to maybe uh, blocking or, you know, final polish, things like that, that might be great tips for our listeners. I feel like every, whenever you get and uh, the good, the best leads that you have, if they can give you a sequence of shots. Okay. Right. And I, I do, but whether you get that or whether you don't get that, I feel like you ought to see every shot you're given as a short film. It has a beginning, a middle and an end. It has a, a setup and a payoff you you sort of need to get this beautiful tunnel vision to where you see that this shot is your baby and and think about particularly if you get a shot that has no dialogue to it i always felt like those are the best shots because i felt like you can make something happen that's not scripted you can mm. you can create a moment that even if it's just that there's this character listening to another character and you see him listening and processing what he's hearing and it's believable. That's astounding. That's astounding. And, yeah. and that wasn't in the script, you know? And so, and that wasn't in probably that wasn't in the animatic either because that's just that small stuff. Right? right. But it makes every, it makes the shot believable. It makes you feel like characters are interacting. And, and so I think I've always felt like whenever I got, a shot, I got an opportunity to do something that was that that hasn't been uh, handed to me or that that is that is uh, that wasn't in the script that is uh, it's, it's a short film. It's it's like your own short film. So gotcha. if you treat it that way, I think you get less picky about well, I didn't get this shot and it make, and I, I want the big money shots and yeah. all these sorts of things. Those things are so meticulously planned out and, and gone over that you can't really surprise anybody. You're just executing it now. You're just executing what ends up being sometimes endless notes. And, but if you're given a shot and nobody's really considering much to happen in that shot. Uh, I loved, I love that moment in the first Rocky film. You remember the first Rocky film? It's been a long time, yeah. Before there were Maybe. all the other Rocky films. Yeah. Because <laughs> he doesn't win that. He doesn't win that fight. And the, uh, and there's a moment when Apollo Creed and his people say, they're just shocked that this guy's still going. And uh, they say, he doesn't think it's a damn show. He thinks it's a damn fight. <laughs> you know, they're like they thought this was just gonna be a show but no his he, guy's gonna fight he really he means it yeah any, he doesn't have any illusions that he's gonna win but he's gonna be there and he's gonna be there he's gonna he's gonna do something he's mm. gonna make a mark and i feel like when you get a shot you like maybe nobody else in the process thinks that this is a good shot but they give it to you and you do something that's unexpected i always loved it when i would 
when I would put a shot in and you're in the room in dailies and everybody has this first reaction to what you just did. They didn't expect that. Mm -hmm. They didn't talk about it, but you did something with it that nobody expected. It didn't wreck anybody else's work or wreck continuity, but it just created a moment that somehow made this whole sequence. Spark a little more. Yeah. If you think about it in a live action film, you got a lens on, on an actor and he can make spontaneous decisions of things to do with his face that make that change the whole tenor of the scene and it's spontaneous and in animation you have to reverse engineer all that yeah (laughs) but but at the same time with an animator getting a shot like that it's an opportunity to where it can people can not only just laugh but go wow i love how so-and-so is reacting to what he's hearing right now and I love, I love the way you have this character, even just shifting weight nervously, you feel like they're processing what's happening in the scene. Yeah, yeah. So it's those intangibles, I think, that a lot of people miss. Gotcha. And that's where all the good stuff is, I've always felt. So. All right. Enjoy the process, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, kind of in closing, and maybe you can't talk too much about it. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, we've had Brian Ingram, uh, who's headed up the uh, Brazen Animation there. And you mentioned you're doing some work with them. How did you get hooked up with them? We've had him in and on a podcast before. Sorry if I didn't mention that. Yeah, so, no, it, great uh, guy. It, yeah, the, the Brazen's a fan. I got to say, I, uh, as, as, a, as somebody who's creating, helping to create some IP for them, this has been uh, probably the most rewarding studio experience I've Very ever cool. had. Just because they're, they're, I'm writing their next two films and, and it's been such a wonderful collaborative and, and a small group of people collaborating, trying to make a, to do something. Again, I always think this is the best motivation is to make the movie you would love to see. Don't make the movie that you think the market is anticipating. Mm. Don't follow up, make, what would you like to see? What would you, would you go see whether you made it or not? Mm. And, and I think that's the mentality that we're have at Brazen right now is what would we like to see? And let's make that movie. And uh, so it's been fantastic. And, and the, the talent level, as far as a smaller studio is concerned, is fantastic. And they're really wanting to build, I think, from the ground up. I know yeah. these studios, the bigger they get, I saw it at DNA and, and, and other places, the bigger they get, the more they, they re- you really have to guard that, uh, that sense of community and collaboration. Right. And, make, and watch out for the the corporate uh, thing that sort of steals your soul and we're trying to make good stuff and write good stories that are going to be wonderful for the medium. And so I've had a blast with them so far. I've been with them just about six months now and it's awesome. Amazing. Very cool. Well, I just, yeah, I'd love to give a shout out to them. I've uh, like I said, Brian's a great guy. Love what I see coming out of there. Um, so just need to see that you're hooked up with them. So very, very cool. We're, have, we're having a great time and I hope, Hope to show the whole world a whole lot of good stuff very soon. All right. All right. So in closing, you mentioned Mosley's been kind of making its way around a little bit here, and you think that maybe in the U.S. we'll see it? I think this year, this year for this sure. This year, okay. Well, when this year, I'm not I'm not certain. Gotcha. Uh, a lot of these, and COVID has obviously changed yeah. everything. And How so, things are handled, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so uh, now it's all about when, how do you release and whether it's theatrical and uh, 
and streaming. We're uh, most more recently the film this month is going to be at the Kaboom Festival in Amsterdam. Okay. And again, all these things like Annecy or Ottawa, where Mosley has been, have been online. Yeah. And so it is an opportunity uh, where you normally wouldn't go to these festivals. Uh, and that'd be the only way you could see them. Right. If you think about it, COVID's opened it up so that anybody can go to Annecy. Yeah. And, gotcha. And it's so, actually a silver lining on that, huh? It's odd because I'm, in so many ways, I feel like uh, I feel like Bosley has actually been in front of more eyes than it would have otherwise. Gotcha. But, Very nice. Uh, the, and we had a, we've had a great run in the festivals. We got a few more to do. And uh, after that, I would expect to see us streaming probably uh, in in the fall, September, October. So. Okay. Awesome. I only, I only mentioned that because I'd love for our audience to be able to kind of keep that on their radar. It's something very, very worth watching. Um, like I said, it was uh, surprising how well it was done. And because I know it was obviously on a smaller budget compared to, you know, the bigger, bigger studios. And it just looked great, both in animation and visuals um, and just a, a really fun and cute story. So I really appreciate your uh, time on this podcast and uh, just being able to talk with you on this. So. Absolutely. Well, thanks. And, and Keith, if I can give you links, if you want to share those to people who want to see trailers or clips or things like that. That sounds fantastic. And, and that all that is out there. So if anybody wants to find it. So. All right. Well, Kirby, best of luck to you. I'm sure we'll get you in another podcast for maybe your next movie with Brazen or something like that. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank and you. with that, we're out.